Good morning. Journey to glory. I thought it'd be really grand since we've been talking about being fruitful on our front lines and thinking about living in this world and how God wants to use us to impact it, that it would be a good reminder for us at the end of the series as we kind of close it down but not finish the work, it keeps going, to remember where Jesus is taking us, this journey to glory. Are you inspired today about what's waiting for you when you meet Jesus? Did you even think about it today? We sang about it. That's a good thing because, well, I've been thinking about it because I was preparing a sermon about it this week. But uh, (laughs) at times we kind of get it mixed up. What do we get mixed up? Well, we think that Jesus's yoke and the burdens that he wants us to carry are really too much. But the exact opposite is true. It's Satan who would have us believe that life without God, life without God's laws is so much better. But we look at the human experience and we know it's not true. There is plenty of going on in your personal life, in our personal lives, in our shared world views and experiences that fertilize doubts and fears and anxiety. It could be your health. It could be career decisions you have to make. It could be car repairs, something that simple. It's family relationships. It's politics. It's war. It's inflation. It's raising kids. It's dealing with teenagers and trying to guide them well. That's all kind of negative. And we let those things, if our hearts are our living room, they kind of take precedence and they, they kind of drive the conversation in our hearts and our minds in our living rooms, in our souls. But what we need to do is to keep a lively dialogue alive with God in our living rooms of our hearts and our minds. And remember where he's taking us. Trusting Jesus isn't going to remove all the troubles, but it gives us heaven's perspective. It's reminded us, like Wade said, about the glory of God. Jesus' way is the way to life. Every other way is the way to death. Do you remember what Jesus said to those sad and those confused and disciples who were arguing about who was the greatest in the upper room? Do you remember what he told them? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So let's take a look for a few moments. First of all, first main point, if you happen to be following along in the, in the, uh, on my outline, God's amazing plans. Just remember these things. God's good news for people just keeps getting better and better. Nancy read from Psalm 73, and the reason I had her read that is because there's this incredible theme that parallels with Philippians chapter 3, Paul's writing in the New Testament. Asaph wrote this psalm, at least that's who we have given credit to, and he was doubting God's control and goodness and salvation. Here was his question, if you read all of Psalm 73, his question was this, is it really worth following God? He was doubting that. But he came to this conclusion as a believer. 
Nevertheless, he said in verses 23 and 24, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. That was an Old Testament believer expressing hope and life in the future. It wasn't just something that we get after Jesus. It was something Old Testament saints were looking forward to when Christ died and provided new life. And we get to look back at the cross and remember that. Do you remember Jesus's prayer for us? Hear this from John chapter 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Paul confirms it. Jesus' promise. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's where God is taking us. That's the goal that God has for you and me this morning. That's the goal he's appointed for us, that we will be with him in glory, and he's not going to fail. Any person who has received Christ as Savior, who has believed that they're sinful and they need forgiveness and that Christ died to cover those sins and made a way for them to be made righteous and just, not by good works, but by faith, they receive that promise. And that's the journey that we, you and I, if we're believers, are going on. We have a good future waiting for us. It's a work of God. I was looking at Ephesians 2, and, and I have a slide just to, to highlight a few things in Ephesians chapter 2. By the way, this is a great chapter. Just to remind yourself what our salvation is, is to point out our need and what God has done. In verse 1, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Paul goes on to talk about our disobedience. But in verse 4, he says, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Christ by grace you have been saved. And verse 6, and he's raised us up with him. In verse 8 he goes on, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by yourselves. It's a gift from God. In verse 10 he says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. And then again in verse 13, you, were once, you who were once far off have now been brought near. I ran through those things just to remind us this is a work of God. So we can kind of take a deep breath in one respect and say, this is God's plan for me. If I'm a believer in him, he is taking me to glory. These are the things he's done for me. These are the things he's planned for me. And it's good. It's Jesus' desire that we be with him in glory. In glory. God will accomplish it because when Christ returns, we will be and see him in all his glory. And on this journey to glory, you and I have a part in it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul read from those verses, Not that I've already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Some things to remember. We are people of greatness, because our God is great. 
as I look out at you today, I don't know if we look so great. <laughs> Do you feel great? Yeah. Because our God is great. We are people of a great commandment. In Mark chapter 12, uh, some people were arguing with Jesus just before his great Passion Week, and they, they were trying to trick him, his adversaries, and they said, what's the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus explained, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and with all your strength. And then the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's no greater commandments than these commandments, Jesus said. And since God is the only God, the creator of all things, then this is the greatest commandment. We are people, we are great people because we have a great God and he's given us the great commandment to love him. And when God's greatness gets a hold of you and it gets a hold of me, you can't help but live differently. You can't help but look at the world differently and act differently and do things differently because of who God is and his great love and his great truth because he is glorious. Love for God will change how you interact with people. It's what's to identify us as God followers, how we love one another. And let me just ask a point in question because uh, I wonder how I did. How did I do at loving God's people this week? We are people not only of a great commandment, but we are people of a great confession. Again, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was on his way toward Jerusalem. And it was after his great transfiguration. And he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah or John the Baptist raised again or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter made the great confession. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You are the son of the living God. There's only one savior. He's a unique son of God, fully God, fully man, fully human. There's no other savior. There's salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the great confession. You've heard that the Lord Jesus is the Lord and Savior. Have you made the great confession? And if you've made that great confession today, then understand that you have a task to do. He's the just judge that's going to come and judge every person because he is the only begotten Son of God. He's the only hope for the human race. We have a great God. He's given us a great commandment. We've made the great confession if we are followers of Christ and we are people of a great commission. In Matthew chapter 28, I'll take a moment to read those verses, three of them. And Jesus came and said to them, just, this is just before he was taken up into heaven after his resurrection. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
There's no more important news to spread around the world. Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, has the right in all the universe to send you and me, his followers, into all the world, wherever we are, wherever we live, to speak his name, to live out his glory, to do his will wherever we are. And if we can't go there, we're sent, we're to send others to go to people who rarely get to hear or never get to hear that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That is our commission to go and make disciples. But how can we do all that? Well, if you're looking in the notes, you'll see that we have a great companion. In John chapter 17, Jesus promised us that he would send a helper. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. How could it be to our advantage that Jesus leaves us, disappears, because he sent the Holy Spirit? Verse 12 says in John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Life is wearisome. I guess that means I'm getting older. We wear one another out with our selfish act, with our bad habits, by not doing what we said. We just wear one another out. Sinfulness fills the world, so serving God and building his kingdom gets tiresome too because you're fighting against an attitude and actions that just seem to be overwhelming. And you know what? Gospel work, Christ work, takes money. So you have to sacrifice so that God's work can go on. It takes a lot of prayer, and prayer is not easy work. It takes planning. It takes changing course to sharpen ministry. And there are times when I just feel like, well, maybe this is just me, like throwing up my hands and saying, I quit. I give up. But Jesus didn't conquer sin and death and leave us alone. He didn't say, hey, kids, I showed you what to do. Now you're on your own. He sent the Holy Spirit. So we can do this. We have the help we need. We can be easily overwhelmed by our budgets and world events and health issues and house repairs and everyday daily demands. But we are not alone. God is with us. We have this great companion. So we can do this. We can walk and bring glory to God. We're on this journey to glory and we can bring glory to God along the way because he has empowered us. Truly, truly, Jesus said in verse chapter 16 of John, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. The immediate context of that is Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. The disciples are going to be terrified. They're going to be afraid. They're going to be sad. They're going to be depressed. They're going to be ready to give it up. But he said their sorrow is going to turn into joy because Christ is going to be resurrected. And you know what? The death of Jesus and his resurrection still has power for you and me today.
We can overcome life's struggles because Jesus died for our sins. We're made new people. We're on this journey to glory. And we're going to live forever so we have nothing to lose. This is good news. We are people of a great commandment. So we love God because he first loved us. We've heard and made the great confession. Jesus is Lord and Savior. We're recipients of amazing grace. So we need to spread that news with the great commission to go and make disciples. Do you know in the United States, we have this great foundation, but we've never been a Christian nation. You know, there was a great revival in the 1700s because many people sweated in prayer. And it was a revival, spiritual revival. Churches were empty. And then it was revival. God sent a spirit and churches were filled and many were saved. Did you know a hundred years later or so, there was another great revival in the 1800s because many people prayed? And they shared the gospel, and God the Spirit was sent. And people like D.L. Moody preached, and thousands were saved in the 1800s. Did you know in the 1900s, <laughs> there was another revival? I got to see it happen. I was a part of it. In the 60s, in the 50s, when Billy Graham was preaching, the Jesus movement happened. The last recorded revival in the United States that we know of. Bloop, for sure. God was at work. Many of you here were part of that. God's spirit working. So now the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s, what are we in now? (laughs) So who's praying? hard that God would send another revival. Be gracious and merciful and raise up a generation to believe, to show his glory. It can happen. Plant mustard seeds of the truth of the gospel and it'll grow into a huge tree. Pray and asking God to work. We are not on our own. The spirit of God is at work. He is with us. That's all the good news, like all the work that God's done for us. We need to just remember that. I hope I hope I can stir you up to just remember that, to be reminded of it, because I know I need to be as well. But God has expectations for our journey. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's last letter, he was about to be executed for being a preacher of the gospel. And he said this in chapter two of his second letter to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Preach that I preached in my gospel. Do your best, in verse 15, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best. Be a person of excellence, spiritual excellence. In verses 20 through 22, he says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some some are for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, 
He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So do your best. That's my responsibility, a work I have to do because I have the resources, a great God who's given me a great commandment and a great commission and a great companion. And I missed the second C, the great confession. Aim for to be honorable, to be a gold vessel, not a clay pot. You're on a journey to glory, so be glorious. You have the power to do it. Live well, verses 24 through 26, so people live well before people, so they have opportunity to see what it looks like to be on a journey with God, to living with Christ and following Christ is good. Peter tells us to guard our souls, to take care not to be carried away by heirs, not to be fooled and tricked by what the world's telling us, but to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was looking at an old book that I read years ago and realized I need to read it again. Richard J. Foster's book, The, the Spiritual Disciplines. He calls it the door to liberation, <laughs> the door to a happy spiritual life. And I just have a few quotes here. It's a great book if you've never read it. It's a classic. Superficiality, he says, is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The classical disciplines, what are those? That's reading the word, meditating on the word, praying, fasting, kind of disciplining ourselves to be quiet before God. The classical disciplines of the spiritual life call us to move beyond surface living into the depths. They urge us to be the answer to a hollow world. Interesting. Be deep for God, because the world is hollow. He goes on to say, don't believe that the disciplines are only for spiritual giants, and so beyond our reach. <laughs> God intends that the disciplines of the spiritual life are to be for ordinary human beings, people who have jobs, people who care for children, people who wash dishes and mow lawns. In fact, the disciplines are best exercised in the midst of our relationships with our husband and our wife. That's where we learn to pray, to meditate, to apply, with our brothers and sisters, with our friends and our neighbors. One more quote. This is the one I think is the best of all. Think about Jesus. In the midst of an exceedingly busy ministry, Jesus made a habit of withdrawing to a lonely place apart. He did this not to just be away from people, but so he could be with God. He sought out his heavenly father. He listened to him. He communed with him. And Jesus is beckoning us to do the same with him. So I would encourage you in this Lenten season, to think about how you can set aside time as we head toward Easter and Passion Week and think about all that God's given us to get to know God. God gives us help for the journey. He's given us an invitation to come and follow me. Find real life. Find what you can't find, what you can't find without me. I've come so that you can do greater things, not lesser things, lasting things. 
So come, follow me. You can only be changed if you follow Jesus. And I want you to know something. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You have to be following Jesus. If you're not following him, if you're playing with him, if you're trying to watch it happen on Sunday mornings and not living your life for God out there, then you're not living the life that he saved you to have. You're not being glorifying to your God. The journey to glory is amazing. And it's an amazing invitation. And it only happens when we believe and when we surrender and when we admit that we need God and that we can't do it on our own, that we fail regularly. But he's inviting us to something better. So you have an invitation and you have an inspiration. It's called other saints. It's called the stories of the Bible. It's called people who failed, who, who believed and failed and tripped and stumbled, but who trusted in God and they held on to God. You can read about them, this great cloud of witnesses summed up in Hebrews chapter 11, but there's so many other people to read about. But the key thing is to what? Fix our eyes, not on people, but on who? Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus because of what he's done for you. Jesus is a rock. And I am not. But spend time with Jesus. Allow to rock to make your life more rock-like, more solid. Spend time with him. Other people and the Lord Jesus Christ, he's our inspiration. And our motivation to take this journey to glory is that Jesus is coming back. So let that drive a little bit of fear into your life. It's dark. The darkness is coming. We need to work now while it's still light. And we have to participate in the work. That's why I had Philippians chapter 3 read today. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, before he was a follower of Christ, was a very religious man. And he brags about it, or he, he talks about what he used to brag about or depend on to make him great. He talked about how he had confidence in the flesh because he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a good Jewish man. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, a very proud tribe. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the law of Pharisee, and, and the Pharisees were zealots. They were, they were so legalistic, but they stuck to the law. They tried to practice at least outwardly. The persecutor of the church, he hated those followers of Jesus because he didn't think Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. So he, he depended on those things, but it says in verses 7 and 8 that he gave that all up when he met Christ because he knew Christ was greater. And he disciplined himself. I haven't obtained this, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We all sacrifice for something. We're willing to do it. We sacrifice one thing to gain another thing. We count the cost and we discipline ourselves to get what we consider most valuable. Athletes do it in their training. Musicians do it in the practice room. They give up other things so that they can hone their skills. 
We give up time and money for a degree to improve our knowledge and our skills. We trade sweat and money for cars, for vacations, for hobbies, for recreation. And sometimes we sacrifice and we spend it on foolish things, but we won't get into that. An old adage I heard in my education classes, aim at nothing and you will hit it every time. And that rings true in our belief in our journey with Jesus. God's aim for you and me is glory. Is that our aim? To bring glory to him along the way. That's why he rescued us. And he's given us everything we need to get there. He's revealed his amazing plans. He's given us his words of truth about Christ's salvation. He's, he's given us his expectations. He's given us the spirit of God to help us along the way. He's given us people to inspire us. He's given us all the instructions we need. What will we do with it? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, there's no one like you. You are glorious and great, and your salvation is great. The future you have for all those who trust in you is great and indescribable. Lord, I ask you today to fill every one of us again anew with confidence that's true. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith. If there's someone here that doubts that you are truly the Christ, Lord Jesus, Stir in their hearts to investigate it. Don't give them any rest until they settle the question and believe. And Lord, for those of us who do believe, increase our faith today. Fill us with joy as we understand where you're taking us so that we live differently, so others see our joy and some may inquire and investigate. Lord, make it a reality today. Make us different people today. Make us different people tomorrow. Make us different people forever, just as you promised. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.